Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Rob Enough. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. We're back at it again, Robbo. Uh, every now and then, Rob and I like to do to get on and do a little chit-chat on uh, what we're up to in the hobby, kind of what we got planned for the show. Uh, what we're working on so excited to you know get on the line we haven't recorded in a while rob oh my god i haven't really even edited in a while we've got a whole team now so to those other podcasts that don't bother editing the trick is just you know good talent and they take care of it for you just increase your 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 peon army Uh, i wouldn't say that they're they're better than i am the the, (laughs) the content like you know mark's uh most latest uh narrative workshop was tremendous it was uh, definitely one of the best ones he's ever done no small part to the great cast of characters they had on there yeah you know no it was super great you know nice to see uh mark doing the content that he loves and you know it's exciting that's one thing you know we've talked about it before right where in the last couple of years, the narrative for Kings of War really is getting better and better and better. So it's really kind of helping to create a space for those players who do want to do more narrative-based games. The older I get, the more I, I like the idea of cinematic narrative, asymmetric, however you want to describe it. Just games for fun that are telling a story. There's not enough of that in our you know hobby diet. Yeah, well, I think one of the reasons that like brought us to Kings of War is one of its great strengths, which is a balanced game for tournaments, which is great. But, you know, for the hobby to survive, I think we have to realize that there's more players playing Kings of War than those that we see at tournaments. So, uh, you know, there needs to be stuff for for that segment of players as well. So well said. That's an important distinction, right? Because to your point, I really do think that there are more people playing in their garages than playing at tournaments. To all of you out there, we, we love you guys. Yeah, you know, just creating a space where all all kind of players have like... So, and, and, you know, in, in the end, too, it's like, what do people say when they talk about what they miss most of, about the old world, it's right? It's the lore, it's the yeah. World. It's the world, right? So the more that uh, Mantic can... And I, lo- I love what they're doing in the fact that in the narratives and spaces that they're creating, they're uniquely their own. So I think that that's always been like a hope is that they could develop their own world, but a world that's not just like uh, too familiar, if you know what I mean, to other places. So I harken back to a conversation I had with Anthony Reynolds some years ago. He's a black library author, wrote some of the uh, army books for Warhammer Fantasy. He made the comment that, you know, what GW does really well with with Warhammer Fantasy was, you know, they they gave you a sandbox and they gave you tent posts, right? Like tents out there, like here here is Bretonia, here's what... But like they let you fill in all the spaces in between. To Mantic's credit, it does seem like they're doing that. They're still providing us key, you know, timeline points. Uh, for battles and in stories and and uh, to be used for campaigns and whatnot, but they're still leaving us breathing room for me to create my own half men army. And I also like that they're taking it a step further. Whereas Warhammer, GW kind of stopped with really being creative. It, it was really just Europe, right? That's what it was. It was Europe. And I think with things like the Trident Realms uh, and this new map, this new map of Panathor, which is huge, and what's out there. I think Mantic's up for exploring some interesting things that we may not have seen before in a uh, a fantasy t- 
tabletop game. Well, they have a couple like really key factions that are uniquely their own, right? I think Basilea, we've talked about it on the, the crossover episode with the unplugged uh, uh, radio guys, where you have, you know, they're a good faction in Basilea that's very unique in its own thing. You have the, the night stalkers, the night crawlers, uh, as Mr. Renton would say. I would love to, somebody to do an actual night crawler army. Where it's all the, the X Man dude, like every pose, yeah. <laughs> just him like in different poses. That'd be great. Anyways, sorry. That would be no. That would be funny. You have the the, the ninja goblins plus like the whole idea of like how mantic goblins uh, are like take scrap from all the other races, so they have like Basilean shields and stuff like that. So I think it's cool. I think you're you're seeing some some. Uh, depth and variety and i think the more that they go you know one thing i would really love to see more of rob and we've talked about it some in various chats is i like the idea of the legendary unit so not just the legendary hero Mm -hmm. but the legendary unit too like a dogs of war or we were we were brainstorming the other day of what might be a cool addition to the empire of dust and i thought a legendary uh, mummy horde would be really cool you know normally you can't take mummies in anything above a regiment right but it would be sort of neat maybe you have like the royal king's guard or something and it's a horde but it's, you can only take one right if it's a unique unit you can only take the one so it would would be the, the abuse would be limited exactly so i think that should be an interesting way to see if they enter that sp- that design space as an adding sort of like i almost think it would be kind of cool to have like a, an expansion like you know a regiments of renown book or something where mm. all the factions get like a legendary unit or something yeah uh, it could be cool you know because i think that's as we go on that's one thing and that's the 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 proverbial balance right between adding uh flavor and depth our flavor and uniqueness without getting us away from the internal balance that we all love so much. Because no matter how much CARP we give for balance issues, I've been miniature gaming my whole life. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, this is a, this is a balanced game. Yeah, um, pretty it's pretty good compared to what we see in other uh, spheres and, and spaces. So absolutely. Uh, I'm excited about the supplement coming up, right? Uh, the whole yeah. the whole magic thing we were talking about narrative. I think that's going to make some very interesting uh, narrative play. You know, uh, large spellcasters with extra extra tough spells and stuff. I think it's going to be cool. That's great space too for uh, taking ideas that maybe you're you have playtesters testing for the main game, and like let's give a sort of an open beta. So here's some stuff for the a, a summer campaign, and then let's use that as sort of like a, a testing environment to see if we want to put this stuff into like a Clash of Kings pack or put it into the main game. Those cool, fun summer narratives can be nice areas to explore sort of off-the-wall ideas. During their open, uh, their virtual open day, they had mentioned that maybe they you know might combine Clash of Kings with Kings of War and Vanguard into one book. I don't remember the the context that they were floating the idea, but you know I had been thinking about that. That that's a really interesting idea because uh, I mean the, the the goal is obviously Vanguard is is a transition game, right? It's a starter game. By putting them in the same book, you can really do some interesting things. No, I think it's smart. It speaks it speaks to more to like you said. Well, what what is the soul or what is the DNA of Vanguard? They want it to be a a entry into Kings of War or are sort of a companion game to Kings of War. So what better way to do that than to put some of that content 
together. And one thing I did like to see, Rob, they, they're coming out with a Vanguard starter box, which I think is a great idea. Comes with uh, two starter armies, two resin characters, dice for two players, a hard co- cover rule book. I think it retails for 100 bucks. You're not going to pay 100 bucks in the store. I think it's the first round where if you get it, you also get a digital copy of, of the Ice and Iron book, which is good too. And that's a good segue. I have been playing a lot of Vanguard. Up until now, I haven't been playing Vanguard. I played it at Adapticon two years ago, uh, back in 2000. 19 and uh, that was the last time i really played and so our store got in a bunch of vanguard ran a good discount got a bunch of people interested a couple things that i've noticed that may be interesting to you know people that are looking to start leagues or groups of players or just to jumpstart their community the models are amazing i mean honestly dude like (laughs) they are they are some of the best models and look I i love my westphalia miniatures i love my atlantis i love i i love good miniatures I love great resin miniatures. I will put these dwarves up against any of those guys' stuff. I mean, these are some top, top top-notch, buttery smooth models. So face value from a hobbyist perspective, you you don't get any better in terms of the modeling. The one thing that's really interesting is that, you know, they did want to position it as a starter game or an entry into Kings of War. And what I've noticed is that here locally, it's really sort of attracting a different type of player. Uh, We're getting like the Infinity guys to come and try it because it is in many ways more complicated than Kings of War. I mean, essentially you're playing a game with like, let's say 12 guys and it's taking the same amount of time that a game with, you know, 20 units would take. Part of that is because you have alternating activations and stuff like that. But, but you know, um, I just wonder if the idea of, instead of marketing it as like a intro to wargaming and an intro to Kings of War because of that complexity and depth. Maybe you instead you market it as sort of like, here's your intro game to the Mantic Kings of War universe, but you're still sort of realizing that you are getting more seasoned miniature wargamers playing it, but it's a way to get more people invested in, in your world building by saying, you know, here's a way for you to get involved in like Kings of War universe, but still has, because those infinity guys, that's why they like to play that game, right? Yeah. They want, they want that, the complexity in that level. And I think in general, that's what people love about small model count skirmish games is that there is more to do. Um, but I hear, I mean, I played it, I would love to play it more. And I've been sort of painting um, as test models for my different units. I've been painting all the Basilean. Um, like I did an Abyss. I did a Sisterhood Infantry. I'm painting a Sisterhood Scout. And they're all I'm just basing individually because as they're test models, plus by the end of doing all these test models, I'll have like a Basilean, um, you know, warband done, hopefully. Um so, uh, but I agree with you. I think the models are amazing. I think the resins that, that they've done are fantastic. I think the sculpts on the sort of PVC are still great. And, you know, there's worse things to, to build. Mo- I mean, I would love to see just hard plastic or resin, just those two. Yeah. Be any, everything that they come out with. But um, I know it's popular. There's a big, there's a group of players that before lockdown, there was probably as many or more people in the Bay Area playing Vanguard than were playing regular Kings of War. So, um, and a lot of those people would dabble in Kings of War, but really they weren't interested, not because they didn't like it, but because they just were not into big mass combat games. They like skirmish games. There's something to be said with the barrier to entry, right? The barrier to entry is, is gone in Vanguard. So, all right, I bought a starter box and I paint 10 models or whatever. All right. Uh, I buy the booster and I paint five more models, you know, versus Kings of War where you're painting hundreds of models. And so to that end, it is a good starter game in the sense that, 
the the amount of models you have to, to to paint to be up and running, it's a fraction, right? Yeah. And you can you can definitely double duty some of your character models, you know, from the dwarves into you know I could put them into a dwarf army. It's been fun. I mean, a couple of the folks that we're playing with us uh, are Kings of War players. There's been some excitement from from other people. And to your point, it might just be that they're just not into mass combat, right? They're into more skirmish stuff, and and this this is that fantasy black ops, as, as he likes to call it. And uh, you know, I, we can we can quibble that maybe some of the rules are more complicated than they need to be, but the secret sauce is the is the exploding eight, right? So because I, we played on Wednesday, our our weekly Mantic night Wednesday night, I played and I had a game against Edwin. And I am just trash talking him. And he's like, he does like seven wounds of crushing one. And I'm like, I got armor four. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to save them all. And sure enough, with exploding eights and stuff, you can make that happen sometimes. And uh, sometimes you like to leave those games, a game, with that that story where you can tell someone, oh, man, do you remember when yes. I rolled nine <laughs> damage and you saved them all, right? And and then uh, it's it's been a lot of fun and... The other thing that I like about Vanguard, as the Pathfinder, I'm, ha- I'm hauling demo armies, right? Well, when I'm hauling Kings of War, I'm bringing terrain. I'm tra- I'm bringing all this stuff. For Vanguard, I got like one tub. <laughs> it's like a lot less stuff I got to haul. So that's been a been a nice little thing too. So how many games would you say did you have to have? Because I know at first you were sort of like you were on the fence about Vanguard, right? When we started to play, it took me maybe four games to where okay. I got the basics down. Yes, we may have a new mechanic or a new rule that's listed on a card somewhere that we have to look up, but I know the basics of moving and shooting and all that stuff. So I would say four games is where I got comfortable. And uh, I mean, look, we're not experts at this game, right? And so we're still learning because I, I mean, I'm only playing dwarves and there's only limited factions I'm playing against. So we're not seeing everything when somebody brings a new model. I'm like, okay, what does that do again? You know, so we're, you know, we are looking it up. The rule book's good. You know, it, it's got a good rule section with the special rules all laid out. It's It's been a lot of fun. You know what else I really like about it is the army building aspect of it because because I have these cards. I don't really need to go on easy army. I can just go, okay, this card is worth X amount of points. And I can literally just build, like, go on a table. And it's almost like I'm playing Vanguard Solitaire, right? I'm just laying out the cards and putting equipment in, and then I'm done. It's been a lot of fun. So uh, looking forward to that continuing. I know you're a big fan of Dead Zone as well. Um, I have finished this painting the starter army for GCPS. I have got the booster all primed. I've got to paint those. So that is next on the docket for us is is a, a lot more dead zone. We made a lot of headway with, with Kings of War, and we got a lot of guys with armies. But I think coming out of COVID, I think folks are just looking for more pickup stuff, right? Easy pickup play style games that don't require the investment. Um, so... Right now, we're alternating our Mantic Nights between Kings of War and then, you know, Vanguard or Dead Zone, a skirmish game. Yeah, I'm curious to see where what's going to happen with us. You know, uh, we're just beginning, I guess you would say, the Phase 2 reopening. So I know, like, Heretic Games is now our local game. They're open for people to go in and buy stuff. But I think the question now is when are people going to feel comfortable gaming in person? And like, as we've talked about it on the show before, that's like the decision for people to make all personal lives. So that for us out here, that's, you know, California was hit was one of the harder hit States. So that is definitely uh, something that's still kind of in flux as far as uh, when people are going to feel comfortable gaming uh, in person again. But I do know that the, the community itself has been uh, either doing universal battle or we've been chatting on Facebook and even search and destroy the SoCal guys have been getting hobby hangouts. 
um, together and stuff like that. So I, I feel like the 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 interest and stuff is still high and still there. I just people don't just quite know or they can't quite visualize yet how are things going to look in it once we start transitioning back to being in person. So that's something that I think is and that could be the case for a lot of different mm-hmm. gaming groups throughout the country, right? People are still sort of kind of deciding when is it going to be right for them to go to a tournament again? When is it going to be a right um for them to, you know, uh, be around people. And again, the, the stuff that influences, influences that decision-making with family and health, that's all personal from person, from person to person. I know for us personally, like we've started as things have opened, we've started to sort of re-engage with close friends and family again in like safe ways. So, um, you know, we've been doing a little bit of, we have some neighbors, uh, that we've been playing some board games with. So we're starting to kind of reopen our social circle with those who are like-minded and safe in their lives. Because at some point, you know, you have to live your life. So that's a choice that we've made as a fa- as a household to start slowly starting to re-engage. So we've been playing uh, lots of board games. You know, we've talked offline about uh, a new Kickstarter for Terraforming Mars. That's probably our, our favorite game. Yeah, and it's been delayed till June 9th. Did you see that? I did. So, uh, and we're really looking forward to in that Kickstarter. Uh, the main things that's coming with is some some promo cards, but basically it's just an upgraded upgraded tiles. Uh, that game uses like placing construction tiles, uh, and also the big thing is it's coming with like a box designed to hold all the expansions. And that game has hundreds of cards, so it's right. going to have card dividers and stuff like that. It's going to be cool. So. Yeah, so we've been playing that a lot. We've been playing, um, still playing Dominion card deck building game a lot. So uh, we've still we've still been doing a lot of board games. Um, so that's sort of been like my reintroduction to gaming so far has been has been more on the board board game style with close friends and family and stuff starting to kind of open that. But I'm still on the docket to go to the dojo tournament. Um, mm-hmm. I'm signed up. I got. I'm just waiting to see if uh, Hillary can get the time off work to see if she's going to come with me because she hasn't met any of my Texas family yet. Oh lord! So yeah, so <laughs> so that should be interesting. <laughs> she she might go home with Tom Annis though. He's so handsome. Well, that is true. She can't see him. That is that has been decided. But it's always fun when you're going to take your tattooed liberal girlfriend home to Texas to meet your super <laughs> conservative Texas family. And again, shout out to the do- dojo guys and you know Tom and Aaron and all them. You know, enforcing masks, following local ordinance ordinances, taking temperatures. You know, really trying to create a space for those who have made the decision that it's safe for them. And you know, I saw a post from Jose Vega, who's a doctor, and he's planning on going just based on again talking about that making personal choices for you based on the science and risk levels and deciding what's worth it for you and your house. Shout out to the dojo guys and getting that turn. Uh, running along within those safety structures. So I know you were thinking, is that still maybe on your... Yeah, it it is. So on the heels about talking about Dojo, let's talk about Siege World. It is an event that I am running. It is 1,905 points. I know, crazy, right? August 22nd and 23rd in Collinsville, Illinois, which is right across the river from St. Louis. It will be a Mountain Region Masters qualifier and a Midwest um, Region qualifier. A couple things to know. It's been running a really long time. I think this is the 16th one. So the person that's putting it on, the the, the Grand Poobah, if you will, is my local friendly uh, gaming store owner, Mike Horner. So if you're interested, just reach out to me. I'll give you the pack. And, you know, you can also go to gatewaygamers.com, link in the show notes. 
it's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. And and that's, you know, dual qualifiers are always really cool, Rob. You know, we've done a lot and continue to and will in the future do, do dual qualifiers with Pacific Northwest. And it does, I mean, uh, turning Bay of Kings into a dual qualifier, we went from 13 to like 25, something like that last year. So it definitely helps. Um, and I think speaking of Masters, right, you know, Masters Committee released recently big news that, Masters now is being pushed back into the summertime um, in that uh, not only to allow for a longer season since this season has been truncated in many ways due to the COVID-19 canceling events, but also in moving forward, it puts Masters in a time of the year that is a little less uh, dependent on good weather in certain areas uh, of the country. And I think that... um, you know, we've talked a lot over the last couple of years about the challenges that Masters has in February of not being aligned with Clash of Kings books sometimes or, or the fear that if you hold it in the, uh, you know, parts of the country, you will run into snow. Um, and I just want to say that when you're trying to organize an event that takes people from all over the country and visitors from all over the world, that I don't think there is any time in the year, right, Rob, that's going to be perfect for everyone. Nope. Right. You know, I think as a committee, we tried to look at it in a a, a holistic uh, uh, sort of what is best for all sort of idea and trying to to figure out what can we do not only to save the 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 2020 2021 master season. So the, the 2020 qualifying for playing in the 2021 masters, but how can we maybe take this opportunity to put masters in a, in a period that could avoid sort of sickness cause you know not just covid but at last year's mastered everyone got the flu so how how can we maybe put it in a place within this new sort of world which is a little bit more friendly to everything that what's going on so again i know it's one of those things where you you can't please everyone and you can't make it perfect for everyone but i think everything concerned it was the it was the the right choice for the whole well it had to move back right we couldn't do it in february just it's just too close and I know it makes it a challenge for certain events that are more travel-based that maybe are scheduled around that same time. You know, I mean, Lady of Lake is around that time, and that's a great tournament everyone loves but does take some resources to travel to. So I definitely feel for Chris, and I'm really hoping that he can kind of find a new time period to hold that. And, you know, I know from being part of those discussions, there was no discussion at all ever when we were looking at how to reschedule a Masters that it was like, let's screw this person or not screw this person or whatever the case is. We just tried to do the best we could as a group of eight separate regions coming together to vote on something. So, um, yeah, so again, Rob, I think that uh, it was probably the the best that we could do um, moving forward. And I know I'm, I, I know some of the challenge, you, we are going to run into challenges where things are probably a little bit more expensive in summertime events, like event space, right? So that may trickle down to the player base, but also the, the I think the idea of not having to maybe cancel a master's because you get stuck in snow. I think that that is really, uh, 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 you can't downplay the benefit of being able to feel like weather won't play a huge factor. Yeah. And by moving it back to July, one of the other perks is obviously it's out of the school year and we do have a fair amount of folks in our community that are educators, professors, um, where trying to navigate going to a tournament 
during the school year is very difficult. And so maybe maybe we'll see some new faces uh, in 2021. Yeah, and, and I understand and I hear the feedback, the other side of that, which is summertime is time for family vacations and not gaming vacations. I totally get that and respect that. But in the end, maybe people start bringing their spouses or, you know, spouses and partners always can have fun at those type events as well, you know. Um, so maybe we start seeing some of that. But I think in, in general, in the end, I think it's going to be um, – Maybe one step back or half a step back, but three steps steps forward. forward. Absolutely. Exactly. So, um, um, and I know a lot of, uh, there's been now a discussion, Rob, with that pushback master system to maybe seeing some UB tournaments. You know, we're, we're seeing like traditionally in-person tournaments going to UB, right? We've seen Bug Eater. We've seen Vanguard. So we've had a really interesting discussion about um, should UB tournaments be counted as master's qualifiers um and sort of my thinking on that you know coming from the perspective of like a a region chair i think in the interim in the short term it's not a bad idea in that having some tournaments if announced ahead of time a region chooses to let that be a qualifier in their region all for it i mean the the ub tournament that dash 28 has been streaming has been a saving grace for a lot of people so i think in in the short term it's a good idea my only sort of the play devil's advocate is i think the hobby can only grow and live and exist in a world where we're doing it face to face with Mm -hmm. miniatures that we painted and bought and i don't think the game can exist only in a digital platform so i would be hesitant to try to take emphasis away from our long-term goals of getting the community back in a safe way playing in person so I think what what the West is leaning to is we allow a one out of region event to be swapped in for because you have to have three scores to make the first cut. So we're we're thinking of allowing one out of re, or you can use a UB tournament if that UB tournament is a Masters qualifier in that region as your one out of region swap. So it's going to allow people to get an extra score by playing in a UB tournament. It's still sort of like an out-of-region event. So that's sort of what myself, you know, Rashad, and Britton is my uh, master's consigliaries. We've been discussing uh, what we want to do with UB tournaments. So that's sort of like our mind frame. What, what do you think about the whole UB tournament thing? So I'm not a big proponent of UB. I like to play in person. Uh, maybe it makes me a lot. I, I don't know. But the reality is that given the circumstances, I think each region, it should be up to them. Uh, to figure out how they want it and if they want to implement UB tournaments. To your point, that's not a long-term solution, right? Um, but you know, short-term to get us like a band-aid to get us through this patch where we're where we don't have events, it could be uh, an interesting uh, uh, experiment. Yeah, no, I think it's I think you're exactly right. And also, too, you really highlight on a point which I think is I and I, in masters chair meetings, you know, we always have a meeting every masters to discuss uh, ways to improve the game or how to build our communities. One thing that I know like myself, and I know Mike Rossi is a big proponent of this as well, which is the re- each region has the complete and sole right to decide how that region qualifies for masters yeah. because building communities is so difficult. You need to have the freedom to be able to design a system that works for you and your players. So again, if another region decides to, that that works for them, all the power, all the power to you. I just want us to keep, moving forward in the hope and goal of us safely through, you know, listening to science and everything that our end goal should be a way to to figure out how we can work together to come back to play games in person um, in a safe way. Yeah. I mean, I play Kings of War for the people, not 
not for the game, right? And, and, the, and the spectacle, right? I mean, I can, and yeah. rolling dice, rolling dice is fun. Do not forget that UB dice are amazing too. Beautiful tables with beautiful armies. You know, they always say, you know, playing in public with painted armies, that's what sells the game. That's what grows the game. And that's that's what we want to do. Yeah, so I think, I feel like we're we're still a lot of work in front of us, but I think that we're finding ways to keep uh, the hobby exciting and growing so that we don't, we won't lose people during this transition. I mean, probably always going to lose people, right? People take breaks. Gaming is cyclical, right? You take breaks, come back. But I think that we really as a community, uh, and I'm so thankful to everyone who have come together to try to keep as much hype going, you know? So shout out, make sure, you know, uh, you keep watching those Dash 28s, especially the ones that I host. So come watch them. Um, they're, they're, they're really fun to do, and it's a great uh, thing for us to rally around. So Plus it gives us something to pick on Steve about. Oh, totally. So we get to pick on Steve. We get to pick on uh, – I love – man, when, when Steve and Alex and Croger get into the chats on those live streams, it's, it's hilarious. Those guys, man. Um, that's another thing, Rob. Like Counter Charge was like you and Mark and Andy, right? Yep. And then slowly but surely, you kind of guys brought me into the fold. And then it was you and me and Mark for like a long time. And now it's you, it's Mark, it's Matt, it's Alex, it's Steve. And then we have Felix and Ben and all the contributors. How does that make as sort of like the father of Countercharge? Selfishly, uh, it's a lot less work for me, right? Because we've got more contributors that are you know, coming up with topics and helping with the editing and all, and, and all the sometimes not fun stuff, right? But the real boon of all this is that it's really added a diversity to our voice. If you and me are the ones providing most of the topics, they're going to get samey after a while, right? But now when you bring Matt Crozier in, he's got a whole different meta, a whole different perspective on life, gaming, and he's going to have a different take. I mean, I'll give you a classic example. I absolutely love what Matt has done with the List Builder Studio. He's kind of taken our original script, but he's doctored a little bit, right? And he's got his own spin on it, and I'm really big, a big fan. For those that haven't listened, he's had Jeffrey Treshawn before. He had Paige Neo. Great listens. I love that stuff. Um, and I didn't have to edit it, so even better. You know, and Steve's been such a great proponent of bringing people in from around the world. You know, the stuff he did with Paige mm-hmm. in that group has been really great of adding more diversity to the show. You know, and I love Steve's irreverent sense of humor. Um, and again, it's just it's just the idea. And the same thing with, with Alex is connecting us with, with Canada and, and his interest in, like, getting the 3D printing stuff. Both him and Steve just did amazing work on those 3D printing episodes. And, you know, and then, like, we still have Mark, who's like, Mark it, it keeps us real and legit with as like the spirit of the basement gamer you know which is like the origin of how so many of us began right that's how a lot of us are right how many people out there listening right now actually don't have time to get a game in during the week but we live vicariously through other people either watching them play on ub or uh, you know hearing the uh the effects of a tournament or the results of a tournament um or they're up in their hobby room painting that army we all have a different way we experience this 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 thing we call the kings of war hobby and we're all welcome in no no i hear i totally hear what you're saying i think that um as always you know uh jake uh, gave us from Unplugged Radio, gave us a sort of thing like the ESPN of Kings of War podcast. And I, the part of that that sort of resonated with me is that we try to create content uh, in um, a broad, and I use broad not as like a bad word. We try to create something so that 
you don't have to listen to every episode that we do, but within a two week period, there's going to be something in that sort of group that you'll like. And I think that that for us is that's what we want to try to do is, is, is to create a sort of network of shows so that you maybe don't like everything, but you, you have your like highlights that you like, or, or, uh, you know, so wherever you kind of fall in the sort of, uh, spectrum of wargaming that we're going to do an episode for you at some point. And I feel like, uh, in having the diversity of voice that you mentioned, I feel like we're 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 doing a good job. You can we always be we can always be better. We can always be growing. But I feel like we're we have like with that sort of diversity of, of uh, voice and and always like and I, different ideas. I feel like we have a good rhythm. We have a nice solid like rhythm of shows coming out right now. Who knows? Maybe we'll add some more voices. You know? Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe we'll go and steal Ashley from Unplugged next. Sure. Yeah. Get her on a real show that edits. So. Uh, well, and I think the reason why I think there's a reason why we don't have host names in our intro anymore. There's too many of them. And I imagine some of us, you know, sometimes things happen in life where I know there was a time where you had to take a break with stuff yeah. going on and didn't do a show. Or maybe I get busy in work and I can't do a show. But in creating a family, that's what what family means is that you, you look after each other. And I know that when something comes up in our life, it means that someone else will pick up the slack. And that's what I... I love most is that, you know, we work together to, to get stuff out. So, um, you know, going back to your original question though, we're most excited about what's going to be the future. Right. Cause I mean, the sky's a limit, Alex, Matt, Steve, I mean, they're knocking it out of the park and I'm really excited about the stuff they're bringing in. And, um, it's episode 500, Rob, it's just around the corner. So yeah, this will be episode 436. That's a lot of episodes, bro. <laughs> I think when we get to episode 500, I think we got to do some sort of live broadcast with like call-ins. That's going to be my pitch. Cool. Well, do we want to take a break maybe? And then when we come back, we'll go over what we've been working on hobby wise. Yes, sir. Okay. Awesome. We'll be right back. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. Hobby Update. And we are back. So, uh, hobby-wise, Rob, what have you been up to? Well, if there is a silver lining to this whole COVID madness, uh, it's that I'm working from home. And my hobby time has exploded. Uh, people may have seen I posted some pics of my gaming table, which I've covered in models that are in mid 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 uh, mid hobby progress. Um, I've been doing a ton of Star Wars Legion. I think I already mentioned I painted the starter box, and I'm getting ready to finish the booster box for uh, the GCPS for Dead Zone. I've got my dwarves for Vanguard. They're all um, based. I've been I use these really cool bases from uh, Alien Labs, um, sort of like these dwarven ruined heads and stuff. Alien Labs is cool. They do some really nice resin stuff. They're awesome. And and uh, shout out to those guys. If you haven't checked their stuff out, they make some really great dynamic 28 scale miniatures uh, that you could use for characters. But really cool is all the little bits and bobs that you can buy to add to bases or bases itself. They make tons of different resin bases. So check them out. If you enjoy uh, Shibor, they're kind of like a, a very similar company or they do different stuff, but in that milieu. So if you like exactly, Shibor, exactly. check out. So uh, Vanguard models are on the docket to being painted. Um, I'm still slugging along through the Halfmen. I'll be honest with you, the, the, the some of the skirmish games have been a nice little distraction. Having to go and know, knowing that I'm painting, having to paint a 40-man unit of Pike or something, it's a bit much, dude, right? But like if I am painting vanguard i'm painting this guy and i don't know what i'm gonna paint next <laughs> like but i'm gonna paint this guy and then i'm gonna paint the next guy and so like i i don't get it doesn't feel as overwhelming as you know i am painting a unit 
So it's been a nice little distraction. Um, also, the Dead Zone stuff's been great because, you know, sci-fi is a really great, and, and even the Star Wars Legion, been a great, like, it's totally a different skill set uh, in terms of, you know, armor plating and stuff is a lot different than some of the more organic shapes you get in fantasy. Um uh, I've been doing a lot of terrain, so I got out all my terrain crate stuff that I got from the Kickstarter. It's been it's like an explosion, dude. I am just every day I am painting for a couple hours, every single day, and I am making some killer progress on a lot of unpainted models. That's awesome. Really happy with a lot of the results. Like some of my Star Wars Legion stuff, I'm like, whoa, you know, uh, I painted up um, some character models like a Princess Leia and a uh, a Sabine Wren, and I'm like, man, I'm really proud of some of these models. So uh, it's been fun. It's been fun. I, I am, though, I'm probably a month away from really getting hot and heavy back into my King's Men army. Um, but, I, you know, I need to get Keith Randall to teach me how to play Kingdoms of Men, you know? I don't think I have enough war engines and enough wizards on flying enough, Pegasus. Enough Pegasus heroes. Yeah, yeah. so I got I to gotta talk to the master. Uh, what have you been working on? So I, I've been working on a few things. So I am um, for... Uh, the dojo tournament the list that i'm thinking of now i sort of have two additions that i want to do and they're sort of additions that i'd like to do one i think they're okay in the game but more, they're more of some stuff to kind of round out my Basilean collection so that i can move on to a new project but be uh have something with some options so essentially uh i've been working on a horde of spear infantry so I don't have any horde of infantry painted in my list yet. So this would give my Basilean. So I'd have like one horde to pick from. And I'm doing uh, for my Basilean theme, which is uh, I've talked about it on the show before. It's sort of like a lion slash heavy female model themed sort of like an order of Basilean um, militant like sisterhood that has units from the Basilean army, not just sisterhood, but knights and everything. There's all female models. So, my infantry spearman horde is a combination of the Mantic spearman kit and the Shield Wolf miniatures female paladin kit, um, plus cyborg bits. So that I got a full a horde, well, a full horde. I'm doing minimum model count because basically at this point my Basilean army is all minimum model count or slightly above. And since it's not a Mantic army anyway, I imagine in the tournament scene the preferred model count mount, uh, meaning more for painting stuff that's centered on mantic models. So at this point, I'm not really going to worry about it on my last couple of things for my Vaseline army. So I have those spearmen all put together. I'm working on the multi-base. I've been working on refining my stone technique. Um, I think stone is a really fun thing to paint when you try to step outside of that gray, lighter gray, lightest gray, done. So in my stone, I'm sort of kind of developing a technique that uses a lot of different colored washes to add visual interest. And stone outside has moss, mm-hmm. reds, purples, greens, all kinds of colors. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing that, and then I'm doing sort of like uh, I know a lot of people do like, like I call it like dry lining, where I dry brush, but then I go in with actual paint and like edge highlight or pick out little bits that don't quite look right. So it's like a combination of dry brushing and actual like regular traditional highlighting. So I'm working on the multi-base, getting the base finished for that horde. The horde is put together and primed with one test model almost done. So I need to get that horde done. Um, And Dojo is 18th, 19th of July. So I think we're at about six weeks. So I got to finish that horde. So Rob, one thing that I did get, which I've been waiting really patiently and excitingly for, was my Manticore from Atlantis Miniatures. So, uh, 
you know, my Vaseline army, I was trying to think of how can I get a paladin on a dragon that fits my sort of lion theme. So I thought, you know, uh, Manticore is basically a winged lion, right? And I had picked up um, what I used for my Ogre Palace Guard. I used some of the female sculpts from Stormcast uh, from AOS. And they have a mounted female Stormcast called Estrella Soulbright. Um, it's one of those, like, push kit were like push to fit like they're easy to build kits and she's mounted so i was like okay well then i'll just convert that to put her on my uh manticore my winged lion and it essentially would be like instead of a paladin on a dragon it's a an elite ogre palace guard captain riding a winged lion so i got that i had to do some um scraping some building i had to uh uh, bend and because basically she's on a on a saddle in her original model and I just had to build up that saddle with green stuff and do some some heating and some bending to get her to, to fit. Uh, but I think it came out really really awesome. I built like a, the base all up. I I emptied out the um, using cork for uh, hills, but I I hollowed them out and I took a hammer and I flattened a bunch of fishing weights with the hammer and put them inside the hill to add weight to the base so it won't flop over. Um, so I had that put together, and I just finished priming it right now. So basically, those are the two main things I got to get done uh, for if I do go to the dojo tournament, which is the unit, the horde of infantry, and then my winged lion. Um, so I did that. I've been playing on UB. I have a little bit of an idea for a Twilightkin army that it's going to incorporate some of the GW Dark Eldar models. I just absolutely love that range. So basically my next army and next sex army is I have some sort of Twilightkin abyssals that I'm pondering doing something with. But that's basically the main thing I've been working on. It's not so much painting. It's been getting stuff assembled in Prime, but now we're about to enter into hardcore paint paint central mode that's awesome main topic cool well uh what rob and i thought we'd talk about is you know in the past we've sort of taken um listener questions and sort of like rapid fire topics to try to go over so rob and i we sort of have like a grab bag of ideas of like maybe stuff that's not worth a whole entire show but that's stuff that's fun to talk about so we have a couple of those ideas today, right, Rob, that we're going to go over. The first of which is, um, you know, we covered it briefly when we did the multi-basing episode, but we thought we'd just circle back to the whole idea of uh, magnetizing, uh, magnetizing units, whether they be single miniatures or magnetizing multi-basing. Um, first off, Rob, wh- why would you ever want, why would you want to magnetize an army? Well, for me, my storage and transportation methods have evolved over the years to the point where I don't really use foam anymore. I've got some of his like older armies that are still in foam, but going forward, everything's magnetized. And uh, I have a table. I have several table war cases. Um, I also have large, uh, really useful boxes. That's what they're called. They're like a large container that's and I put a sheet of metal on the bottom and magnetize to them there. So um, I mean, honestly, it's the best way to store models. It's the best way to transport models. I think maybe the only exception is when you put them on an airplane, you got to be a little bit more careful, right? And you got to maybe increase the strength of the magnet or you might have to add some padding in between. But you know, I, when I'm just going back and forth to uh, uh, the game store where I'm going to a tournament where I'm driving, magnetizing your models is great. 
uh, you just open the box and like for example my my ogres are all magnetized um, I've got them all because they're large infantry I've put them all on regiment basis and then the characters are on individual basis and then I just pull out the tray pull out what I want and in that one table or case I have you know 6,000 points of ogres and I just uh, open it up pull out what I want put put everything back push the you know and in play it's just I'm I'm in and out a lot faster when it's magnetized. Um, how about you? What's what's to you? What's your? It's the same thing. Once once you go magnetization, there's never going back. And for me, it just comes out to one. Uh, it's just transportation. The transportation with magnetizing bases, especially when you're flying, is just there's. It, it's, like you said, Rob, it works for even individual models, but especially magnetization really sings for multi-basing. Mm-hmm. In that I can have a box that's got a metal bottom or a metal toolbox fits underneath the seat in front of me. All my multi-bases are magnetized. That means they can be on their side. They can be upside down. Everything goes in the toolbox. Nothing touches each other. Right. There's no friction with foam. It's super clean, super easy. To me, it's like once you, whenever anyone asks like uh, me, like how do you travel with models? Because living in California, we have to fly to a lot of events. It's like, you must magnetize really it's like i can't i can't be a proponent of it any harder yeah well i mean i'm a packaging engineer by trade right so um ultimately you can use foam the cushion blows and stuff while you're traveling but the reality as you said that foam is abrasive might be minimal but over time it will wear off at first the the clear coat that you put on and then eventually your paint if you can just isolate the miles from each other and whatever you're putting it in like literally it's nothing in between them turns out that's pretty damn good, and it works great, and uh, it's just fast, easy to use. Yeah, it's a, it really is the way to go. So in magnetizing, I think there's really kind of a few main ways you can do it, one of which is my favorite, but I think any of these ways work work good. The easiest way, probably, Rob, and I know this is – I think Brian Bordier does his magnetization this way, this way, is you just get the magnetic self-adhesive sheets. You cut them to the size of your multi-bases. You take the sticker off, you put the magnetic sheet underneath the base, Bob's your uncle, the unit's not magnetized. The issue with that, what you what you uh, gain in ease and speed, you do lose a little bit in power, right? Strength, yeah. The strength of the magnets are not as strong as uh, the rare earth magnets that we're using. But, but you can get those. Another easy part of the, the adhesive sheets, Rob, is the ease of purchase. Oh, yeah. You go to Michael's, you go to Hobby Lobby. Yeah, you can get that stuff. You're good. That stuff's at Target, stuff at Hobby. I mean, to find like a particular six millimeter rare earth magnet that's not a thousand bajillion dollars, you're not going to find that at a craft store usually. Right. So right. if you're, if you don't like to shop at Amazon for whatever reason, your own whatever are, uh, are uh, the magnet baron, or there's a bunch of different vendors that sell magnets. Um, the sheets, perfect, respectable way to go. Just and that would be if you're just if you're never gonna fly and you just want yeah. something magnetized for around the town, perfectly fine. Yeah, because it will it'll it'll limit like sliding around, but you couldn't put it on the top of the case, for example. It won't, it doesn't have the strength. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to do that. So that's probably your entry level. I've never really messed with magnetizing. What should I do? perfectly acceptable way i just would keep in mind if you're going to be traveling in a plane or more so than just a car environment 
the self-adhesive sheets may not be the best way to go. Um, another way is there's different companies. One in particular that Rob and I have worked with uh, a lot in the past, especially mm-hmm. when we talk about figure cases, is Shogun Miniatures. Shogun Miniatures makes both magnetic bases and also mag- uh, steel trays. And their magnetic bases, not only do they come in 50 millimeter, 20 by 20, you can have him cut you a, a base of a, a material that the size of a multi-base. Right. So I know that's one thing that Chris Kapsner likes to do. A lot of his bases are the larger cut Shogun. So basically the base material itself is magnetized material. Put that right into a metal case. There you go. Um it's like a magnetic sheet, and then on the top, there's like a, a textured plastic coating, basically. Exactly. Um, so it's really easy to, to paint, and you know, it textures up just like any other you know, plastic Yeah, base. like any other thing. The, the yeah. only problem with that that you'll run into, again, in, in trying to give you all these different ways to magnetize, Rob and I want to give you both like the, the high points, the low points, and just stuff to like keep in mind when you're you know, from our own – trials and failures and successes one issue with getting the larger shogun to custom cut you regiment and horde size bases is the rigidity of those bases is mm-hmm. strong in the smaller sizes but once you start to get big they become a little floppy thin material um and so yeah you, you won't have the rigidity you have these other base materials that we've got still a total good way to go. If you want to, if you want to go down that route, uh, for, for magnetization, totally still, you know, can do well, totally fit, fit the, um, the, uh, what you need. I think, um, the sort of the third way to go, Rob, which I know is your favorite and both Mm -hmm. my favorite is to get a drill bit. I use a six millimeter drill bit. So then that way, I buy six millimeter round rare earth magnets. Yep. I take my multi-base, my wooden MDF multi-base, get them from uh, Ironheart Artisans. I get mine from Death Ray Designs. There's a million places, yeah, you can get them from. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just... War Chest Creations. Exactly. Uh, which which yeah. company has the thickness that you like? Like, I mm-hmm. love the Ironheart ones, but the Death Ray Design ones are a little a thicker. thicker. Mm-hmm. And I just, me, personal taste... I just like yep. that a little bit better, but whoever you want to go through, you have your six millimeter drill bit, you have your six millimeter rare earth magnet. And what I do is I just drill completely through the whole base. I'm not worried about trying to drill it. And so mm-hmm. just so it's thick enough, I just drill through the whole base because the top of the base is going to have facing texture, <coughs> block stuff on it anyway. Um, and then what I do is I take my magnet, I test run, Fit it in first off. Make sure it's clean. I file any make make the hole nice and clean and filed, and then you just plop that magnet magnet in. You make sure that on the bottom side of the base it's not sticking out a little bit because you want the bottom of your base to be flush. I've run into that problem when you put the six millimeter magnet in the base, Rob. If it's not quite flush, you and you put your base down, it wobbles a little bit. Yeah, you know, because it's not completely flush. So just yeah. keep in mind, make it flush. But just put it in. There you go. You're done. Once it's based and everything's on top, you'd have no idea those magnets were there. Right. I mean, in doing it that way, which I think is how you do it, have you found it works pretty well? Yeah. So I'm assuming you're putting one in each corner typically. And then maybe if you have a larger unit, you might add a, 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 a fifth and a sixth magnet maybe. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. You, need to put, you need to put multiple ones in. One is not going to do it just depending on how heavy the, the, the unit is. So you bring up a couple points that are very important that, um, first of all, 
when we say six millimeter, he's talking about the diameter of the uh, the diameter of the uh, the magnet, right? The 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 width, if you will, the of of the round part of the magnet. Another another dimension that you're going to need when you go on eBay is the thickness of the magnet. Um, it, just keep in mind if you get you can. If you're in the millimeter stuff, you can usually, if you're getting three millimeter thick trays from somebody or bases, then you just get three millimeter bait, you know, three millimeter thick magnets, and that'll work. Just keep in mind, generally, three millimeters is around an eighth of an inch. So I've been buying, um, I've been buying a lot of two millimeter thick stuff because it's just slightly smaller. And so to your point, uh, it's, it's, it doesn't go through all the way through the base. Um, one of the tips about making sure that things are flush on the bottom, because it's if you want maximum strength, you got to make sure your magnet is flush with the bottom. Um, flip side, though, you don't want it to be sticking out or protruding, because if it is, then it'll actually, you said it'll wobble. But uh, you just get like a really cheap uh, Shogun miniature metal base. It can be like a 25 or a cavalry base. Stick the magnet on the corner of that, put your glue in the hole, and just push the, push the, um, push the, ba- push the magnet into the hole. Uh, as you're pulling away, you basically kind of like it's that you know that thing where you're pulling the tablecloth and you're leaving all the, the dishes on the table. As you're pulling, you're ripping out the uh, the little metal plate that you're holding the magnet with. It'll leave the magnet in the hole, and then just put your finger in behind it to make sure you know it's flush. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yes, totally does. Okay, because it doesn't translate well to, to thing. But basically, you can use a piece of metal to, to put it up in the hole, to hold the magnet, put it up in the hole, and then if you're quick and yank it, you can kind of just pull it out and it'll make the, the magnet be flush and yeah, stuck I in think, there. I think the key is you want to dry fit it a few times because it's very difficult if you put the glue in and put the magnet in and realize that the hole's not quite correct or the magnet's not quite all the way in, it's protruding a little bit, It's a, it becomes difficult to get it out. So I would just make sure, as with any assembly, you always dry fit everything before you glue, and then you can make any adjustments to that. But yeah, great point, Rob. The six millimeter—that's the uh, not the thickness of the magnet; it's the, the diameter. It's what's going to match your drill bit. So that's yeah. because you're drilling the hole for the magnet to fit in. So whatever your—it doesn't have to be six millimeter. That's just what I've found is sort of a nice catch-all size. Um, it can be bigger or smaller. Just make sure that you're getting the magnet to match whatever the size of your drill bit is. Yeah, and I used to use all um, eighth of an inch diameter, eighth of an inch thick magnets. Um, they're just not strong enough. So pretty much where I'm at now is I always maintain uh, a collection of four millimeter, five millimeter, and six millimeter in various thicknesses, right? Because the thicker they are, the stronger the magnet is going to be. Um, so if like a terrain piece, I might use a, a much thicker, you know, six millimeter with at a much thicker. Uh, at a higher thickness, um, whereas a base might be, uh, I might use a four millimeter at two millimeter thickness. So the, the nice thing about the metric sizes are they just the same place you bought your magnets, eBay. You just buy the drill bits, and you know, uh, I, you know, you're buying these from China. As long as you've planned ahead, it's super cheap. Uh, I don't know, fifty magnets is like three bucks. I don't know, it's not expensive at all. And this would be one. You know, I'm a proponent of pay where you play always buy stuff from your local game store except it's the one caveat do not my buy anything else but don't buy magnets for whatever reason every time i've seen a magnet sold at a game store the price is just so high because it's a magnet that's being like marketed towards gaming you know so that would be the one thing i would say to not buy it i don't know what are your thoughts on that rob the, the reality is that if you go on eBay, you it's in your control. So you can pick the diameter of the magnet, you can pick the thickness of the magnet, and you can, can you can pick the strength of the magnet. And it's usually a number like N35. Higher number, 
more strength. Um, it gives you more options, right? And and for me, I'm I'm a I'm a tool nut. We've talked about widgets, right? But like in my hobby room, I've got collections of magnets, all of different thicknesses and widths and drill bits to go with them. And so it's sort of like, oh, I'm doing a conversion. Oh, I can go and I can find the perfect magnet for that for that application. Um, I'm doing a base. I, I know what magnets to use. Like on the the Star Wars Legion guys, which are round bases, thirty. I think they're thirty-two millimeter. On the underside, I'm just gluing a five millimeter magnet that's two millimeters thick, right in the center of the base. Done. Bob's your uncle. No drilling required. Uh, on my um, Kings of War stuff, historically I've been using like a like a four millimeter magnet that's two millimeters thick on each corner. Keep in mind uh, the 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 bigger the magnet and the the bigger the end number, the stronger it's going to be. Um, one thing I want to caution is when you start dealing with like single units. Uh, single models on a base or units that are like, like really like there's only like one connection point to the base. Be careful because if you start yanking the the units up from the magnet, you know, from the, from the case or whatever transporting, whatever transportation you've got um, just by the model. Oh, don't do that. Yeah. So the strength of the model might actually, you might just rip the model off the base. So you got to be careful about that as well. So when you're thinking about multi-basing and I think we mentioned this in the multi-base I like to put elements of, of scenery or bits. I am trying to imagine when I'm building the base, where on the base am I going to pick it up? What are the what are on this base are my contact points for when I have to move it, when I have to put it in, in my figure case or whatever? Because you're exactly right, Rob. I guess one detriment of uh, or a possible downside, the magnetizing, is that it makes the unit stick to metal. So if you were just to like – I have a, like a unit of knights in my figure case. If I was to just go grab one of the horses and try to pull the base up, I'm just going to rip the horse right off the base even though it's pinned. So just a great, really great point. Try to figure out. I try once a unit is multi-based. I never try to touch any of those models ever again, whether by foam in a figure case or me touching them. I never try to touch a model once it's on a base because I'm trying to to not have to go through the hassle of repairing models that fall off. So good point. Just realize that w- once they're magnetized, that they're going to be magnetized. So think about when you're removing the unit, how to do it in a safe way. Yeah. And I found like an individual model, like one six millimeter magnet in the middle of the base uh, for a plastic model is going to be more than sufficient. Flip side is if you are going to magnetize for, sh- for flying on an airplane, like you do, where you actually want to, it's sort of like a catch 22, right? Yes. You want, you want strength, right? So you know that you're going to go stronger than you can pick up by the models. I know, Rob, since I have to fly so much, I go, I err on the side of maybe too much power. You want to be able to turn it upside down and it'll hold. Because that's how I get a full army in, in a tool, metal toolbox is I have stuff on the side, upside down. So like for me, I, I start with one, one magnet on each corner and then one magnet in the middle and then sometimes I'll do another magnet middle left and another magnet middle right. So I'm getting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven magnets on like a horde or a big base, which is overkill. But for me in flying, I need to be confident that nothing is going to move, period. Yeah. And, and I should mention, I don't typically use uh, an actual drill. I use like a hand drill, right, uh, to make the, the cuts because – when you're dealing with bases, you're not having to cut that deep, uh, and so just a just a quick uh, hobby sure. drill bit it, it yeah. will typically will typically work. And, I, go ahead. 
what I usually do for my metal MDFs, I just use a power drill, but I take the drill bit out for any resin basing or any individual basing, and I just hand drill it. Just do like a hand thing. Yeah. But anyway, either way is fine, I think. But good, good, good point. Uh, yeah, and so I know uh, cases, right? Storage. That's the next thing we wanted to touch on. There's a million yeah. different ways. I mean, essentially, there's lots of. I have a box, and. I either have metal. I've seen, you know, most time you just put metal in the bottom of the box, um, and then you have magnets in the bases, and you just set them down. Um, you could go the opposite route, which is you've got sheet magnet uh, in the bottom of the the box, and you could potentially put like a, you know, glue a piece of metal or something to the bottom of the base as well. Um, what you don't want to do is don't use magnet on magnet. That That's that's a recipe for disaster. People think, well, if you have two magnets, they're going to stick together. Well, then you get into the whole polarity issue and there's a lot of other, there's a lot of issues with that. So uh, for me, I always do magnet on metal in some kind of a box. Yeah, I think, I think for me, it's sort of, there's two things I'm thinking about, right? I'm thinking about, am I driving locally or am I flying? So that will determine my two main ways of, of carrying my magnetized and my magnetized miniatures. If I'm flying, 100% of the time, I'm going with the metal toolbox. You can buy a metal toolbox that c- coincides the both either under the seat carry-on dimensions or overhead carry-on dimensions. Put all your miniatures in it. Bam, you're done. Good to go. I've, I have two sizes, one that I know fits underneath the front, uh, underneath the seat in front of me. And then I know I have one that fits in the overhead. So depending on the size of the army, I have both options that work. Ideally, I like to have it in the seat in front of me because then I have my eyes on it. You know, no one's going to mess with it. Otherwise, I just put it in the overhead, but I put it in the overhead towards one end. Usually the, 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 uh, the end most towards the back of the the plane and then i just put like a sweatshirt or a backpack just something to sh- so that someone doesn't try to move it or if you're driving around what i'm uh, become a real big fan of and i know you and i think uh uh i don't know if, i think billy has one too i'm not sure we all do okay yeah, t- table war um it's been i've in fact i was looking i did a review on my table war like back in 2011 i think it's i've had it a long time i've got they've got different sizes they've got a full size and a half size, and then like a micro size, and and I've got two of the full size, two of the half size, and one of the smallest one. They're amazing, right? Because you can pull the tray out. Like for example, um, the tray, the trays between the half size and the full size are all interchangeable. So I've got a, a plastic, tr- dis- they call it a display board, uh, and then and then we and then I have probably the same as you, right? Uh, a sheet. Do you, you have a table war too, right? Yeah, and I have the Shogun, the sheet. Right, so Shogun cut. Miniatures cut us a, a metal sheet. We took dimensions off the display board. We sent it to Robert. He cut us a metal sheet that we epoxied in. Well, literally, like, if I um, I have my full tray with all, you know, my full case with all the ogres, but let's say I don't need all the ogres, I can just pull out the, the, the display, the display uh, trays that I need and slide them into the smaller case, and then I'm good to go. Um, super versatile. If you haven't seen this, tablewar.com. The display boards slide in, and I think it's like at one-inch increments all the way up to the top of the case. It can hold a ton of crap, a ton of stuff. And because, you know, if you're smart and you put all the the, the similar height stuff at the same level, you can really maximize your utilization of the case. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I don't I don't think it would work quite work on the airplane. Just oh, it won't work too, at all. It won't work at big. all. Yeah, but, 
and it would fall over and all kinds of bad stuff. And it's got stuff to put a, a little pouch to put like dice and I'm, all this other. Stuff. It's just I, I can't recommend it enough. Once you get the correctly sized metal sheets, and then also as Rob mentioned, make sure when you put those metal sheets in, you're using an epoxy glue and not just super glue. You need like no, you got. I tried it with the super glue and it they pops off, pop right off. You gotta have like the real heavy duty epoxy. Typically, you're gonna want to sand it, the side you're gluing down, and really. Scu- and, and I'll actually take an exacto and, and actually cut into the display board. You're really gonna want to make both surfaces rough, uh, and and then and then use clean it, and then you know with some uh, you know denatured alcohol or something, and then really epoxy the crap out of it. I, I do want to mention, you know, uh, if you're more into the battle foam thing, they've got on this train as well. They have a system called Magna Rack where they've got basically a bag where you can pull out this set of magnetized, you know, metal trays basically. And they've even got some that are, that have copied table war where the bag opens up and the trays slide out. So the reason why I bring that up is if you already had a battle foam bag, you might be able to buy a Magna Rack kit that fits that would fit into your existing bag. So, but um, yeah, so there's lots of options. And like I said, I have lots of armies that I just have in a, a big box, you know, a big plastic tub and there's metal in the bottom done. Bob's your uncle. Yeah. It's just an easy way to do it. I, I think that it's, it's, it's can be a little daunting at first, but once you get into it, I don't, it's one of those quality of life improvements that you'll never want to go back from, I think in my mind. And like you said, Rob, you can do it with multi-basing. You can do it with individual basing um it's easy for plane flights it's easy for um uh driving it just is going to make your your life uh a lot easier so definitely big fan of that if you want to see pictures of rob's and i's uh any of our setups uh feel free to let us know um i mean i pretty much have this one toolbox that kevin von felt had that rashad has that i have that jeff swan has everybody uses it mm-hmm. yeah exactly um and that you can just get them on Amazon. They're pretty cheap. And then, like you said, you got it. Bam, you're good. You can you put stickers on it. Like on mine, I have a lot of stuff on it. As I go from tournaments to tournaments, little swag patches or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's it's definitely a cool project to do. And like I said, once you do it, and like what I will do, Rob, when I'm doing it is I'll, if I'm building an army, I'll just get all the bases out in the beginning and I'll just drill and magnetize them as like a project. So just get them all done at once. You know, get those tools out, get all the magnetizing done, and then that way I can put them up and move on to whatever the next next thing on my docket is. Let's take a quick commercial break, and on the other side, we'll get into our second and final topic of the night, gaming mats. This is John Fawkes. I'm one of the admins on uh, Kings of War. Oh, Kings of War. Sorry, I just need to ban somebody. There you go. Out. Uh, and welcome to Counter Charge. Welcome back to Counter Charge. And next up for us is a gaming mat roundup. Uh, it's... It's a topic that I love. I love gaming mats. I have loads of them. I've tried lots and lots of ones from all kinds of different companies. And I spent some time, Jeremy, putting together a massive list of mats. You know, a few years ago, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to, you know, maybe five or six companies. There's more companies than than I was aware of. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of companies that make mats now. You know, I guess maybe at the start, you know, why... Why would you want a gaming mat? Um, historically, you know, wargamers would use like textured polystyrene, or maybe you'd get one of those uh, Realm of Battle boards from GW, or one of the offerings like Terranscapes from a Secret Weapon, like a plastic injection molded table. But yeah. you know, wh- why these 
gaming mats. And and I say gaming mats, there's a lot of different materials, neoprene, PVC, cloth. We'll get into some of those, but you know, what's the advantages of these type of, type of mats? I mean, I really think they, they're, they're cost-effective. They're cheaper than all of the, the money spent on buying a board. They are easy to use, easy to store, right? You roll them up. I have like 10 in my garage. Uh, you just keep them stored. Two or three, variety. If you build like a really nice high-end ga- a board in the traditional sense, it's that board, whatever it is. Whereas in my garage, I have a snow mat. I have a forest mat. I have a b- Badlands mat. And then that way you can then tailor your terrain to fit your map. And, and just like quality, once they were able to print high-resolution images on neoprene or whatever, I don't know. To me, it's like a perfect mixture, Rob. It's like the Goldilocks, right? It's usable. It's cost-effective. It still looks good. I ain't having crappy things on my table that look bad. It like fit, It's just right in all those good. It's a sweet spot. Yeah. It's the sweet spot. Yeah. So I, I do want to mention we're not going to touch on battle boards. I have a Rebel Battle Board. I have a Terranscape board. I even have the one that Game and you know Game and Gears is a company that, that, that actually made a two by two plastic injection molded board. I've got some of those too. They were great for their time, but for all the things you just said, storage, ease of use, um, I just prefer these other mats. They just they're just easier to work with. And from a two to perspective, this is the only way to go, right? Totally, totally. You have like a, a a trunk full of 15, 20 mats. I mean, I don't, I don't even understand. Or forty, or, or fifty. Yeah, I yeah. can't even imagine what it was like holding tournaments prior to game mats. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I remember the days of Wapaka where it was like a, you know, each table was topped with a with a textured um, piece of plywood or MDF, right? Yeah. And they might put ballast and sand and paint it. And you know, look, that looks great. These are better. All right, well, with all that out of the way, let's get into the list. It's a really long, comprehensive list. We're going to start with the ones that I have have personal experience with, where I've actually, I actually own, I actually have played with, and then we'll get into ones, other ones that I did a little research and found, because um, there's lots of different options. And I, and I will say, just like miniatures, it runs the gamut, right? So like you can get ones that are just cheap. You just want a cheap picture on your table. Boom, you can do that. I want a high-end one. Well, they got those two. I want a versatile one. I want two. I want a double-sided one. Great, those are available as well. So there's lots of options. And so what 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 I would preface this all with is there's no right answer. There's the right answer for you. Exactly. From a pricing standpoint, whether you want to buy it from you know made in the USA, whatever. You know this is just information. You have to take this information and, and do with you know make your own personal decision of what's right for your situation. But we'll along the way we will share our personal experiences with the ones we've used um, and the ones we haven't. We'll share what we know. So as we're going through this, I do want to mention you know we'll talk about pricing and, and designs. We're talking about six by four mats that are specific to that would be usable in Kings of War. So let's start with the granddaddy of them all. That's Fat Mats. Fat Mats is is a trade name owned by Table War. They used to be associated with Frontline Gaming, um, and they did a Kickstarter a long time ago. Jeremy, do you remember how long? It's got to be f- yeah, I, a few years. It's been a while. And in many ways, you know, uh, you talk about like how like we say, "Give me a Kleenex." And really, Kleenex is a brand of facial tissue. For many years, it was, let's use a fat mat. It was, they were the first ones. And in many ways, the neoprene mat is like, I know some old school gamers, they just call those fat mats, let alone, you know what I mean? But they were sort of like the first proof proof of concept that you could do a high res, nicely printed uh, neoprene mat. 
so I've had I've had I've I, oh, I've owned uh, some of these in in various sizes, um, uh, both from uh, uh, Frontline Gaming and then also the next one Frontline Gaming. I've owned I've I've owned uh, I have some of those as well. So fat mats, uh, like I mentioned, are from Table War. You can get them at TableWar.com. Um, they cost seventy five bucks. A bag is included. Um, when I did this research, there was fourteen patterns that would work for Kings of War. They are not double sided. They only come in neoprene. They ship from the U.S. Uh, they may have a, a, a distributor in the U.K. They may have a, a warehouse in the U.K. as well. I, I don't. I didn't. I didn't. Didn't recall. Um, and you can buy replacement bags for eight bucks because one of the things about all these bags is they do wear out when you're zipping them and opening them and closing them. They're not high quality necessarily, and they do rip. Um, so let's get to the second one, Frontline Gaming. So whatever happened, Table War, Frontline Gaming, they, they parted ways, and Frontline Gaming makes their own FLG mats, and uh, those are available at FrontlineGaming.com, and uh, they're 75 bucks, just like the, 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 the original Fat Mat. The difference here, it comes with a bag, but the difference here, they have like over 30 designs. They have a ton of designs. They are not double-sided. They are neoprene. And uh, you can actually get them shipped to you from USA or Australia. But I want to mention that like my local gaming store carries them. So you can, there's lots of options to get those in retail as well. And these, and you've got a lot of experience with these as well, right? Yeah, so these are the ones you're probably most likely going to find in uh, stores, you know. Um, and, and again, like Rob said, these and fat mats, the quality is very similar. So then it's going to come down to what design do you want grass you want mud you want ice snow do you want snow and grass you know they have a ton they have over 30 so they they have a ton of of mats available um we're going to keep rolling the next big one that i want to mention is gamemats.eu um they're a little cheaper they're 69 bucks with shipping note the bag is included but they ship from europe so uh the ships may be a little bit more expensive they have 13 patterns that are six by four they also have three patterns that are double-sided that cost 99 bucks. Now, I don't personally own any of the double-sided ones because typically I'm, I'm looking at it from a TO perspective where I'm going to – each mat's going to be a table, right? But if you only have, like, let's say three or four mats in your home collection, double-sided is a pretty sweet deal, right? I mean, you you know, oh, flip it over, it's snow. Flip it over, it's desert. That's that's pretty cool. Interesting you say that, Rob, too, is I come from the same perspective of you as being like a community builder is that I need as many designs of mats, but that's more so from being able to to do multiple tables. So again, I think if you're building mats for like a tournament or a, a bigger scene, maybe the double-sided aren't as much for you. But if you're just wanting to add variety for a home collection, I think that's when the double-sided mats really uh, show their value. Yeah, and I do want to mention both Frontline Gaming and GameMats.eu have been super awesome and very supportive of the Kings of War tournament scene. So if you're a TO and you want to get some mats together, contact those guys and see what they can do for you because you might be surprised. Um, I know we've placed like um, discount, basically discounted orders for, you know, eight or 12 mats. Um, I know we did that for like the first Masters actually. For GameMats.eu, we placed this big order for like 30 or 40 mats and we got them at a really good price. And so what happened is like we worked out a deal where the different players, like I'm going to buy this mat and we're going to use it for masters. And then when it's done, you got the mat, but it's at a discounted price. So no, you bring up a really great idea, Rob, because Tom Millard for one of the tournaments in Seattle did that very same thing is he got a great deal for mats to be used at the tournament. And then, there as a souvenir, you could pay him the discounted rate and take a mat home with you. 
So really cool idea. Up until this point, they're all pretty much the same. They've got rounded corners. They're neoprene. The next one I want to mention is from Deep Cut Studios. They're from, uh, from I, I think, Lithuania, but somewhere in Europe. Um, I do own one of their mats. The, their, their prices are 70 bucks for a mat. Note, it does not include a bag. Um, they actually come in a square box that in some ways is actually better, right? Because it's literally a box that's custom-sized for your mat. But they have... They have over 30 designs as well. They don't have any double-sided. Now, what's interesting is, you know, the 70 bucks, that's for a, a neoprene mat. They have other materials. They've got canvas. They've got cloth. They've got PVC. They've got neoprene. Um, I have one of their cloth mats. It's pretty cool, dude. It, it folds up into like a tiny, tiny little amount. Note, these do ship from Europe. Um, but I do want to mention, uh, you you have to pay extra for the bag. It's $650 for the bag. One of the things I, I don't know why I like this, but maybe this is like with your dice head fetish. Deep cut mats have perfectly square corners. <laughs> I don't know why I like it, but I do. I don't know, Jeremy. I love my square. You know me. I love my square corner dice. I love them. I will also say they have the ability to do custom mats. So like you can work with them and actually either, I, I think if you give them artwork, they can figure out a way to get it on there. So And what I like about deep cut, Rob, is that in their different sizes, they have the same design. So you can get, let's say you have a design you really love and you want to do like a Vanguard to then Kings of War game. You can get mats in different sizes that uh, artistically are the same. So it helps create that consistency if you want to do like different size campaign gaming or stuff like that. Just a, a note. Some, yeah, no. and full disclosure, I have lots of fat mats, lots of frontline gaming, and lots of game mats at EU. I only have one deep cut studio mat. Um, it's the Prairie design. It's great. I mean, I use it at every tournament. Um, I love it. it. Like I said, the box is a little weird because <laughs> it's the one. I almost need to buy like a replacement bag from somebody just to put it in a bag because it's like the one mat that I have that's not, you know, that's not in a bag. But uh, the quality of their printing is as good as anybody else's, and and. There's something to be said. They have some very original-looking fantasy designs that you're not going to get other stuff. Like, for example, one of my cloth mats is actually all, like, deck planking. Like, it's on a ship or, like, in a big building. Like, old-fashioned wood planking. It's really cool. It's diff- They have a lot of different things. So, next up, we got Mad by Mars. This is a little bit of a, a different one. They do not do neoprene. They only do PVC mats. Um, it's 75 bucks uh, with shipping, no bags included for a PVC uh, Kings of War sized mat. They've got about 30 fantasy designs. They don't make double-sided. They do ship from the USA. But the one thing I want to ma- make a mention about with Mats by Mars, which is why they may stand out from the crowd for you, is that every mat is custom printed, so you can add overlays to your mat. So they have a mat that has like a dominate circle and also the king, they have a Kings of War layout, which I think it has like a dominate circle and then deployment zones. Anyways, you can see it on their website. It's freaking fantastic for dead zone. I have a dead zone mat from them. Um, they actually have a dead zone overlay where it's got the two by two squares and uh, it's, it's great. Have you, have you used these at all? I've seen them. I haven't used them myself, but if you want to see it in action, they have a master crafted battle report with Jesse and Kyle using one of these mats, but uh, mats by Mars with the overlay. So I, it's from, second edition i think so it might be back a little bit but definitely you know definitely go check them out they play with it i think the only downside of this matt rob if you are trying to film a battle report or take pictures of it it does come through as a little shiny you know because it isn't what what i'll say is they have a new material now that i just got awesome that isn't shiny but there is one negative that i found is that 
when you roll them up and unroll them, they, they're not going to be as flat as the neoprene. That's just, just the nature of the beast, right? It's a, a plastic material. It's just, it's just not. So let's keep rolling. Uh, next up is Cigar Box Battles. This is another one that's really different. These are some local guys in Nashville that I hooked up with, uh, I don't know, a few years ago. And I know for my first few tournaments that I hosted, I had a lot of these mats. Um, their mats, uh, you can get them from Cigar Box Battle Store dot bigcartel.com they're 75 bucks for a six by four no bag because i'm going to explain in a minute you don't really roll them up they've got a crap ton of designs with more growing every day they they do have double-sided that they just did a kickstarter for and then we should expect to see them on the uh the uh the, the website soon let's talk about the differences here because this is where it gets a little a little bit different than any of the other mats we're going to talk about they use a fleece material almost like a blanket material they do ship from the USA. Here's the big, the biggest detail that's different is that the, their mats are actually bigger than 48 by 72. They're actually designed to overhang the table. Um, they're really geared more towards historicals, but you can essentially put terrain underneath the mat. Like let's say you have a hill and it'll, the material is thin enough and won't wrinkle up. It'll actually flow over the hill and you can actually have like a really, really pretty mat, a really pretty table. Um, so does that make sense? What I'm saying it's, it's bigger, yeah. it overhangs and you got an extra, extra real estate so that you can actually put the terrain under the mat. And that's where I've seen these like really shine is in, I think it would be great for Kings of War, but at, at KublaCon, which is one of our big local yearly, uh, conventions, historical gaming is still really hot there. So I've seen I've seen Waterloo fought on cigar box battle yep. mats like every year. So if you like that or you you di- you really dig the idea of putting a, a a piece of foam underneath the mat to be your hill and not have to worry about flocking the foam or whatever, you know, and just like ease of storage on these is really nice, Rob, too, right? You could just throw them in a box. Like, like one tub has got like six or seven of them. And, and I'll mention, you can literally like shove them into a backpack. You pull them out. You, f- you just you just flip it out. There's no wrinkles. I mean, these, these do not wrinkle at all. And I've got a lot of these. And one of the other things I wanted to mention is, there's something different about the way the printing looks on this fleece material than opposed to, you know, the neoprene. It's almost got like an artistic look. Um, it's almost like a softening that, I don't know, I get warm and fuzzy feelings when I look at those mats. They just look fantastic. One of the more unique of the list of yeah. mats. This is probably yeah. one of the most unique companies as far as what they do. So definitely uh, worth checking out. Um for that reason alone, something different. They come in all kinds of different sizes. They've even got some where they're really designed for you to cut up to make terrain, like if you want hills and rivers and stuff like that. So um, they, they have some licensed mats for different game systems. So if you haven't checked them out, check them out because they might fill that niche of, hey, where am I going to store a four foot long tube? Well, this might be better, more up your speed. And they even have, I believe, a plushy, a more thick plush fleece material to give a little bit of a different look. So, And then, like I said, they got the double-sided coming down the pipe. So uh, the next up and last of the ones I actually own and use um, is GameMats.com. They're actually up from your neck of the woods. Yes, so uh, 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 I met the owner of game GameMats.com a bunch of times. They always have a booth at KublaCon. Um, they're one um, print 
called Purgatory, which is sort of mm-hmm. like Chaos Red Wastelands. I won that at a tournament one year at at um, nice at uh, KublaCon. So this one I actually have and own it. I really dig it. For this company, Rob, if you want something a little with unique colors, maybe not quite not quite as traditional. Game game mats, it's still the same quality as Fat Mat, as uh the frontline gaming or whatever. I think their uniqueness is that they they use a little bit more vibrant colors and the colors they choose are a little bit more uh it uh courageous if i should say so i think if you're wanting something that's where i I feel like their niche here is is that they're a little bit unique in the designs and colors they use you know they don't have a ton of designs there's actually only about two that would work for kings of war 70 bucks plus shipping bags included they do have one mat that's double-sided um it is the neoprene it does ship for the usa and you can get an extra bag for 15 bucks but i i like what you said they don't have a lot of designs but the designs they have really stand out from the crowd yeah they're very they're very unique right they've got like this one with like snow that like really jumps off the mat i mean it like hyperia i forget the exact name but it it like leaps off the table it is vibrant so let's get into the next batch of mats i i don't own any of these but i have used some of these the first up is hidden forest gaming it's just hiddenforestgaming.com their mats are 65 bucks plus shipping bags included it started off as a Kickstarter. Um, it was almost like the cheap version of Fat Mats. That's kind of where the way they positioned it. They've got four different ones that are fantasy-based. Um, they don't have any double-sided, but it's all neoprene. It all ships from the USA. I believe they're in, in Ohio. $10 for a bag. Uh, so it, 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 it is what it says on the tin, right? Um, next up is Urban Mats. They're, they're shipping from Europe. They're urbanmats.com, and that's U-R-B-A-N-M-A-T-Z.com. 63 bucks for a, a mat, bags included. Uh, 63 bucks plus shipping, bag included. They have about 13 designs. They don't have double-sided. It's all neoprene. It ships from Europe and $10 for a bag. You're going to see a lot of the same type of stuff, right? <laughs> Games and Gears. I mentioned them with the Battleboard. They also have, I think they did maybe a run of mats for Adepticon one year. I don't know why. But they're 120 bucks, bag included. They have one design, it's grass. So this is probably going to be a pass for most people. They don't have double sided. Um, let's keep rolling. P Works, which is pworkwargames.com. Their mats are 76 bucks plus shipping, bags included. They have about 18 designs, and they're a little bit like the deep cut where they've got some different, different interesting patterns. They also will. Offer their stuff on cloth, PVC, neoprene. They don't have double-sided. It ships from Europe. Um, they appear to have square edges like like the deep cut, but I, I haven't seen these in person, so your miles may vary. Okay, next on the list, Rob. You know, And a lot of these, we're just sort of rapid-firing here at the end because these are ones, as Rob mentioned before, that Rob and I do not own these. So on the countercharge, we always try to speak on materials and equipment or our supplies that we've personally have used so that we can give you guys a better review. But in uh, our completionist sort of Rob and I are both uh, functioning OCDs, we wanted to give you guys as many options as there were. So I think this next one, Rob, is pretty interesting from uh, Stratagem and in that it can be found on Amazon. I think it's only on Amazon. Cool. Yeah. So if, if that's your main way based on ordering stuff from different areas, um, 
you would uh, you can go there and uh, granted um, uh, I'm looking at it right now 6699 uh, free with shipping which um, is a pretty good you know n- not a bad deal what, what are the cheaper neoprene options exactly so if you if if that extra 10 or 15 dollars between getting this and a 75 or 80 dollar mat if that is uh, a determining factor in your budget this is definitely an option to go um, another one is warzone studio it's got uh, 13 different uh patterns um it can also be purchased from amazon so 80 bucks with shipping with this for with a bag included with you can uh get an extra bag if you want uh, again neoprene they do fabric they do pvc so you have a uh based on what your favorite choice of um uh material is uh you can just go ahead and go that way um, another one, which this is really interesting, Rob, up until your list, I don't know how I, I, being a fan of this company, I didn't realize they had done mats, which is, uh, Gale Force nine. If you're familiar yeah. with, um, flames of war or battlefield in a box or any of that stuff, Gale Force nine has been like a really awesome, uh, company for doing terrain. Um, have you, uh, uh, I know you don't own this one, Rob. Have you ever yeah. seen? Have you have you ever seen what's the quality on these like? It's good. It's it's actually interesting because it's a little thinner than the rest of the mats, and so it sits a little flatter. Um, I also want to mention they only have one mat, and it's double sided, and it's a hundred bucks. And on one side it's desert, and one side is grass. Um, also, I think the best way to get your hands on this is through your friendly local gaming store because if they have a, a you know a, a Gale Force Nine or Battlefront account they can get this mat for you. Um, the next one I want to talk about is a special one. I want to make special mention of because um, I've only seen them in person once, but it's one of these, it's like one of these Holy grails for me. It's Kraken war games. It's Kraken with a K It's Kraken wargames.com. They are expensive. They're 81 bucks plus shipping bag is not included. They have 17 designs. They don't have double uh, sided option. They are neoprene. They do ship from Europe. They started as a Kickstarter, but this is the the difference. This is what sets them apart from everybody else. Everybody else is making computer artwork and putting it on a mat. They are making a real table, like modeling a real table with real shadows, and they're taking a picture of it. The reason why it looks so damn realistic is because it's realistic. It is a real model. That That is incredible. I had no idea. You know, not computer-generated graphics. And not to take anything away from that. I have lots of them that have computer-generated graphics. It looks fine. But when you see a Kraken War game up close and personal... At 720 DPI, which I believe is higher than a lot of these might be 300 DPI. It jumps off at you, but it's more expensive. 81 bucks plus shipping and 12 bucks for a bag. So this is one of those boutique ones, right? Like, dude, like you, you want the next thing up? Well, this is it. This is the, the, the high-end version, if you will. After that, we have uh, another company that does great uh, resin bases, too, if you're looking for resin bases, is Micro Art Studios. Um, and again, this is so great. This is another company that I had no, I, I knew them from their resin, resin basing materials, but I had no idea that they made, um, uh, that they made mats. Um, again, with them, you'll find kind of what you would think is they have a, 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 a couple of interesting designs, but they have like, you know, what you would, would traditionally want as far as like a desert, they have an outpost, um, that sort of has like ruined buildings on them. Uh, I thought that was an interesting pattern that they have. Sometimes these mats sort of give you, um, they help kind of guide you on where you might want to put terrain. And like, I know they're like, 
uh, outpost has some sort of like buildings on it that you could build off of. Um, but they do have a very serviceable grass mat and a snow mat yeah. that work mm-hmm. really well for Kings of War. The kicker here is they're 96 bucks plus shipping, no bags mentioned. So they're, they're a little bit on the pricey side. Um, I have not seen these in person, so I can't, I can't, uh, uh, comment on the quality, but I will say everything else I've gotten from Microheart has been pretty exceptional. Yeah, I've used their bases, their their resin uh, basing stuff on a, a, a couple of the, my projects in the past. And, um, you know, I think, and also too, sort of we touched on it, Rob, but I think in the past with Neoprene, there was really only a couple companies that were like quality was high enough so maybe you would pay a little extra but now it mm-hmm. really does seem like that 65 to 80 dollars that that sort of is the sweet spot do you think looking through these as far as getting yeah. a quality mat and and if you buy them through your store you can get them at a discounted price right also if you're a tournament organizer you buy in bulk you can get them at a discounted price so um yeah i mean <laughs> it's it's a buyer's market there's a ton of people that make neoprene mats so, so next up we got playmats.eu. It's 70 bucks plus shipping, which sounds normal, but it's on PVC and they're all double-sided uh mats. So and they've got about 30 mat designs that you can pick from and they ship from Europe. So uh next up is Tiny War Games, and that's tinywargames.co.uk. Now listen, this is a little bit different. 90 bucks plus shipping, bag not mentioned. They have over 30 designs, but it's more of like a boutique wargaming store from the uk um the you can get it in cloth or neoprene that 90 bucks is for neoprene it ships from the uk but they've got lots of custom options and i will say they have some of the most unique designs out there so if you're really looking for something that you want to be like that that cool kid right you go to that convention you're like look at my mat this this is one that that you know a little pricey but It'll make you stand out. Now, this next one, I actually do own. Uh, and I forgot to put it up closer to the top, but this is Killing Fields Terrain. Killingfieldsterrain.com. It's 75 bucks, But this is not neoprene. They've got a couple different flavors. Um, at 75 bucks plus shipping, no bag. It's either uh, static grass or they've got teddy bear fur. They've got about two designs. And I will say their mats are not six by four. They're actually seven by five so that hills can be put under word of warning. This doesn't work for a skirmish game where you have small based models because they, they fall over from the, the teddy bear fur. Um, but in Kings of war, if you have regiments, it's fine. It works. Um, and you can, if you're looking for something that works for more like the flames of war stuff, the teddy bear for it's, you know, they've dyed it and cut it and clipped it. it it's pretty dynamic. Have you ever had a chance to play on this stuff before? spaces that these have you have the ones that have the diable uh more teddy bear fur and then you have the ones that have more kind of like static grass and flock on them i think those the static grass flock ones are 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 probably the way to go if you want to have individually based models or i think just in in kings of war in general they just make more sense to me visually and those i have seen in person and they are very cool the teddy bear ones i think are a unique idea i just don't know when we talk about that epic war between in terrain between functionality and aesthetics I don't know where they fall on that spectrum. Yeah. It's a hard sell. I have the teddy bear for one, and uh, I think we we got it in as a prize for an event one time, and it's really cool. Don't get me wrong. It looks incredible. It looks like a field of grass. But functionally, if you do have models that are on small bases, it's problematic. It's hard to use. Uh, let's just round this out. We've got Bandu, uh, which is B-A-N-D-U-A wargames.com. 
52 bucks plus shipping. They've got about 10 single-sided designs. They don't have any double-sided. It's PVC material, and it's from Europe. Finally, closing out this monster list. Um, and let me just say, I'm sure there's more that I didn't get. And we got a lot, right, too. There is. <laughs> this last one here is uh, wargenwargames.com. No idea of price because I couldn't really find any neoprene that were actually in stock to get a price on. But uh, they have 10 designs that are single-sided. But they do make other, you know, they have neoprene, PVC. They have one called Rigid Foam, which reminds me of, I think, a company called Zuzzy Mats that used to do, like, this real thin foam material that was actually imprinted. So there's, like, a slight indentation, like a slight sculpting to the material. Um, I think that's what this is. But they also have PVC and cloth that ships from Europe. Um, but like I said, there wasn't a lot of detail there because I, I didn't... I, I'm primarily interested in, in neoprene, and I didn't see any on there. So, uh, I don't know. Is that 30 or 30 of them? I don't even know. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes to show, like you said, I really feel like the community as a whole has shifted to using mats. For all those reasons, we talked about aesthetics, pricing, usability, durability too, Rob. How many of those game ports that we've all played on pre- previously that would get chipped? and scratched and jacked up. So I really think that this is just that Goldilocks perfect uh, mixture of accessibility, price, durability, and aesthetics. Um, So I can't recommend uh, if you guys haven't picked up one of these, you know, grab, if you haven't got one, get one of the double-sided ones, right? Gives you, gives you two. That's probably where I would start if I didn't have anyone is I would either go with a fat mat or a frontline gaming one. It's like, you know, the name, you know, you know, like the, uh, uh, you know, Jeff Johnson, the name, you know, uh, distinguished gentleman, Eddie Murphy movie, go watch it. But it's like they're, they're quality, solid brands. You can't go wrong with either of those. Um, and I think, again, we talk a lot about tonight, Rob, of once you go there, you won't ever come back. That's the same thing with the mats. Once you see how easy it is to have a nice mat, you're, you're, you're not you're never going to not play on one. Yeah, and you, you hit on it. You know, Frontline Gaming is very accessible. You can get them in your stores. That's kind of like the, to, for me, has be, kind of become the, the go-to de facto ones. Keep in mind, if you can get them from ones that are shipping from the U.S., you're going to save money, right? Um, at this point, I have so many mats that now it's all about the quality of the print and the uniqueness of the print. So my next one will be a Kraken mat. Um, I am saving my pennies up for it. I, I have been chomping at the bit. Um, if you haven't checked them out... Um, and you're into that boutique style thing where you're just looking for something really, really unique that your friends don't have, do yourself a favor and go check them out. There's so many options at this point. And there's even options that, I, that I'm sure I missed. Oh, yeah. I guarantee you, Rob, we missed. And we're talking about mostly PV, uh, neoprene tonight. But like, if PVC is okay with you, some of these companies make PVC mats for like 30 bucks, dude, 35 bucks on Amazon, a 6x4 PVC mat it's not that expensive. So if, if cost is the ultimate barrier to you, you know, drop the, the, the neoprene notion and, and, and check out some of these other materials. Well, closing thoughts on uh, mats. Uh, I think you said it. You got anything you want to add? No, just uh, get them. You'll like them. You'll dig them. Like I said, they're they're usable. They're cost effective. They're really going to change the way you look at uh, your terrain board. Easy to store. Just put them in your garage. So yeah, I couldn't... It's one of those uh, investments, Rob, when you talk about um, immediate return on investment, as soon as you open this up, you don't got to put it together. You don't got to paint it. You don't got to assemble it. Right off the bat, you're playing with it. So it's like an immediate – there's not many things in the hobby world that give us immediate return on investment without any work. This is one of those things. And the tips for you if you're buying these – 
Buy them from a company that's in your country so that their shipping you know, shipping costs are down. Uh, if you have a local gaming store, go look. They probably have a frontline gaming mat that's available. And if you're on a tight budget, drop the neoprene. Look at the PVC because, you know, mats by Mars. And heck, I think even on Amazon, you can get like a six foot four mat that's well printed for like 35 bucks. So there's lots of budget options. Uh, so I think that's going to do us with that. Um, we will post this entire table um, on the counter charge page. And by all means, please post up additional ones that I missed because uh, I I spent a few hours looking for mats and I'm sure I didn't get them all because new ones are popping up every day. Which is good for us, right? As gamers, the more, more choice and option is good for the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. As far as uh, shout outs, Rob, for me, nothing really on the agenda. Just uh, after dark is going. Okay, we still, I won't, we're not going to get into it here. It's a long episode, but we're still exploring uh, technology spaces for after dark. You know, as far as some people like Google Hangouts, some people hate them. Some people like the Facebook groups, some people ha- hate them. A lot of people are uh, like Discord. We tried that in the past and it didn't quite work as well, but uh, we're exploring, we're still exploring different ways to access uh, after dark. Um, but that has been uh, going strong along with all the uh, the UB uh, tournaments. Make sure if you haven't been watching the Dash 28 live stream, please do. I've been able to get on there a couple times, do some hosting, but a lot of the Kings of War personalities uh, from podcasts or shows from all over the place have been on there. So uh, great fun. And again, shout out to Mike Adkins. Um, uh, for getting that organized and to I guess I heard today or on the cast today uh, they were talking about it was it was actually Ashley's original idea when she was uh, uh, into one of her fish bowls of wine she came up with that idea Mike Atkins made it happen so congrats to both of them and thank you to all the people who have signed up to do uh, paneling for that but yeah stay tuned for that yeah Rob that's it that's it it's just getting ready uh, for hopefully getting out to a tournament here uh in six weeks or so and then looking forward to september living legends is around the corner hopefully so i'm hoping come late summer early fall with masks or with whatever safety measures will begin the process of sort of reconnecting with each us with each other and actual the real world well well said i don't really have anything else i want to add to that so uh until next time keep countercharging. thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on countercharge Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. If there's a silver lining in all this COVID madness, it's that we're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at home, I'm working from home, I'm a lot of hobby time. Man, I am terrible tonight, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm having an outtake. <clears throat> oh, I should say outtake. I'm going to have an outtake like Alex. An out, an outtake. Well, no, if Alex said it would be like, I have. <laughs> Dude, well, you know, you know, Shatner is from Canada, so I wonder if it's like genetic.
Now, question: Did you get the Chimera or did you get the Manticore? Uh, I got because the Manticore is like a flying lion, basically. Uh, that, oh, I misspoke. Then that's what yeah. I got. Okay, yeah. just want to make sure because I think the Chimera. I don't know if they even have a Chimera. I'm not no, sure. You're, no, you're exactly right. It's not a Chimera. It's uh, a Manticore. Let me, let me just start that over. Yep. No, sorry. I just thought about that. I'm no, like, you're eh. right. No, I. I screwed up. Uh, you want to bring us back? Uh, why don't you, since you okay. took us out, okay. so it just keeps okay. the consistency. Goodbye from Counter Charge.